Uh, Courtney, we have some guests today. Mm -hmm. We are about to speak with David Ruff and Christina Horner of the Great Schools Partnership. Hello. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Glad to be here. So, David and Christina, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do for Great Schools Partnership? Okay, um, well, I'm Christina Horner, and I'm a, so a senior associate for Great Schools Partnership, and I'm also the co-lead for the Community Engagement Project funded by Nellie Mae. Um, and with that project, um, Nellie Mae is committed to um, re-engaging all members of the school community um, to re-envision the school and to, to lift up the voice, voices of all stakeholders. Okay. And you know, those stakeholders not only being teachers, but also parents, caregivers, teachers, um, community partners, um, and to bring them to the table to um, help improve student outcomes, particularly in schools um, where the outcomes have not been so favorable, particularly for kids from marginalized communities. Uh, good afternoon. I'm David Roof. I'm the executive director at the Great Schools Partnership. Um, and in that role, I do a lot of work you know, working with great colleagues like Chris um, to support changes in schools, uh, changes in districts, to look at state policy that can uh, promote or impede this type of work. Um, and uh, as Chris had noted, increasingly reaching out to the community to try to figure out ways that we can hear all voices in this work. So let's talk about the community for a second, because community partnerships are something that, that we feel strongly about, uh, but it's really difficult to, to really forge those strong partnerships and, and get a, a, a good amount of people coming to these. So can you explain a little bit about, about how you how you work with communities and, and, and some of the successes that you've had? Okay, yeah, so um, it's not easy. Um, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, but the most important piece is to understand why it's not easy, why we can't get more people to the table. Um, and it's not just about getting them there, but it's really about building trust, building relationships. Um, and when we look at how schools are right now, when we look at the challenges that we're having, um, you know, they, they didn't just happen, they've been there for decades. And so the people who aren't coming to the table, quite frankly, they don't trust the people who are inviting them to the table. And yeah. so it, in order for that to change, um, you have to engage in practices on an ongoing, uh, on a continuous basis where you can start to build those relationships so that they will come. Um, and so in terms of successes, um, we're working throughout New England on, um, uh, with different districts. And so I will use an example um, in Newport. Um, so um, Newport is a city by the sea. Um, they have, um, I, I think there's um, a perception that it's a very wealthy community and people don't understand that you know it's a district that's high poverty right and so um, we have been working very hard and hard and um, uplifting the voices from um, the community that, where they feel like there are just numerous inequities that um, they've been dealing with over the years and as a result um, I can use for example you know there are um, community members, particularly in the North End, who have um, said, you know, we need more training to better advocate for ourselves. Mm. So that's been happening. Um, we also have um, Through Young Voices. Um, that's one of the um, our partners. They have been working with the students in terms of uplifting their voices. And so those students recently, well, when I say recently, the end of last year, um, they engaged in a year-long research project where they engaged 
um, other students um, where they um, determined without even using a whole lot of educational um, jargon the three biggest challenges that the district was facing. One of them was that the students felt as if um, the, the, the teaching was engaging and it needed to be more student focused. Now that wasn't, the, those weren't the words that they were using. Right. They don't sit at these conferences, but that's what it came down to. They also felt as if um, they needed stronger um, and consistent relationships with the adults around them. Um, which for us that comes down to advisory. They didn't say that, but those were one of um, the three points. Um, and the other important, um, the number one piece, and I went backwards, the number one piece was around equity. They felt as if the teachers needed far more training and understanding around racial equity, and that was the number one cause of many of the challenges that they were having. Um, so we're, we're here talking about it at the conference, but um, students are talking about it as well, just not using the same terminology. Um, and so I I would say that, that those um, those two are really successes that really jump out. You know, you know, a piece I might add on, um, you know, Matt, you talked about how there's some struggles to do that. I think um, in most cases when we think of what we've done with the communities and we've termed it community engagement, it's really been marketing or messaging 101. It has not been engagement. Right. And so we have tried to, um, we've, we've made up our minds what's going to be, we've then gone out to the community, we've tried to convince them this is a great idea. You should buy into this. This is super. It's going to be fantastic. But we haven't done what Chris is talking about and honestly, truthfully going out and hearing and bringing in the voices and being willing to uh, undertake our work in ways that actually meet what the community members are saying, that actually build upon the strengths that are there. I mean, I'd add the example of Lawrence, where I think a lot of people have heard the terrible um, disasters that happened in Lawrence with the natural gas that was there. But I'm pleased to know that um, Mo Nunez on our staff has actually been down in Lawrence and has been helping to facilitate community um, conversations about what's going to happen with that, what is the, the building process, what's going to happen with the schools, how they're going to make sure the kids continue to get their education that's there. And all that's because the district of Lawrence with Mo's help, have started to understand um, how to engage the community as opposed to how to tell the community what's going on. I would argue those are real success stories. Yes. What are some of the, like, if we think in real concrete, like, strategy, what, what is a successful strategy for a district to get um, parents or community members to come to a meeting or a gathering? Um, I think one concrete, easy step is to acknowledge that some parents, because they don't trust the school, or it might be history repeating itself where they have had negative experiences, why not take the meeting outside of the school and go, and by working with other members of your community, um, it can be at a church or it could be at a synagogue, um, a civic organization, Boys and Girls Club, and maybe having a monthly, a periodic meeting, whether it's monthly or every two weeks, where um, the parents bring to the table their concerns about the school and they're leading the agenda, um, they're setting the norms, um, and then you have the um, members of the school committee, whether um, school community, um, the district level administrators, the school administrators, come to the table and hear what those concerns are. Um, so that's something that's very simple. Right. We have another community in Connecticut, yeah. that's what they did, and they did it for a year, um, Windsor Lots. Yeah. 
Um, and you know their challenges were no different than many of other struggling districts. Correct. And that was something that has served as an example for many of the other communities. You know, I, I, I think it's important to know. Um, we would all hope it was like, okay, what is the key strategy? If we do that piece, right. it's all going to it'll be magic and it'll change. Yep. I, I think the piece that we've learned is there is no single key strategy. There's a whole lot of little things, right. as Chris has noted. Um, the meetings can't all be at the school because you're talking about people who their experience with school may have been bad it's a power dynamic that we can't sidestep there that we say come you know come to our house as opposed to let's go out and get to a a neutral spot it's who's doing the inviting okay so if it's a you know a white male administrator trying to invite um, uh, a neighborhood of color the trust issue is going to come up instantly on that. And so how how do we get the right people to actually reach out and invite people to the, to the um, conversation? How do we um, how do we have one on ones beforehand so we build trust? Right, I mean, right. there's a lot of these small things that get a couple people and a couple people and a couple people, so you can actually start to get some momentum. And building on that, when you invite them to come to your house, well, what time are you inviting them? Right. You know, do you really know your community? So if you're working in a community where many of the parents have to work two and three jobs, it's really silly to have a meeting immediately after school from four mm-hmm. to five thirty. Yeah. If you know, if you're in a high poverty district and where many of you know many of your families are single parent households working two and three jobs it doesn't make sense to say okay come to a meeting in our house um, from five until seven well then you know maybe you really need to think about are you going to provide child care and providing child care you can also use that as a learning opportunity maybe you can use one of your student groups to provide a child care as part of their community service um, or maybe you can extend it further and have um, mentor mentees or big sister big brother type relationships where maybe they can help with the homework so that when the parents get home they won't have to worry about that so if you're providing child care and food that eliminates a tremendous burden mm-hmm. off of the family so that um, they can actually just focus on the meeting wherever that meeting may be and then when they get home everything's taken care of right. and it's not that you have um, you know become the, the savior it's basically you want their voices and what barriers can you eliminate to hearing those voices and bringing their voices to the table. I think one of one of the themes that we've been hearing from people we've talked to is about getting those those student voices, especially out front, uh, a lot more than we than we have in the past. And uh, you mentioned earlier about who's doing the inviting, and are you having success with with students actually trying to involve? The, yes. the, the parents in the community rather yes. than rather than us as administrators in, in multiple places so um, we um, have something where we actually train facilitators so, so we're so by doing this work you're also building leaders you're, yeah. you're building their capacity to not only advocate for um, their children or the children that they're caring for you're also um, building leadership so that you're making their communities stronger stronger schools stronger communities um, so we have a facilitator training where we actually engage um, all members of the community and we really try we're very intentional about bringing students in because what they're experiencing now is our behaviors that they're going to repeat later on and so what better behaviors to repeat than learning how to facilitate um, coach a meeting and um, and so we're intentional about providing the same level of training for them that we would maybe a district administrator and then also a you know if it's a pastor or another community member they're coming to the table as equals. Amazing. 
think we have lots of great lessons yeah. in these 10 minutes yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, community, engaging with the community is something a lot of schools, um, as they're going down the personalized learning path, they get to that point at some, you know, and then lots of questions about it. So um, something we ask all of our guests, um, we talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning. So we've talked a lot about community engagement, so you're welcome to angle it towards that um, or personalized learning in general. But for both of you, what do you think is the biggest do-do for personalized learning? Um, I think you have to listen to all the voices who are going to have some role mm -hmm. in the chat. And so we've talked a lot about community engagement. You have to listen to um, parents, you have to listen to broader community members, and you also have to listen to teachers. I mean, that I mean, at the end of the day, they're the ones who are expecting to actually change behaviors in this way, and so um, recognizing that teachers want to do a good job with their kids, they want to teach well, they want their students to be successful. Um, listening to them and how to do this well, I think, makes uh, is a huge first step. In terms of a do, um, yeah. I would say in terms of a do, recognizing that um, every child has a story, and so regardless of how rough um, this situ situation may be or has been, um, it doesn't have to be looked at in terms of a, a negative. And so, so often when kids come from situations that are far from our ideal, we assume that that becomes an excuse for not to, not to do well. They can build upon the challenges and use turn those into opportunities. And so it's important to realize that everyone has a story and that story is, can actually be an asset. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming by and talking with us today. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you. you.